right. One last sip of beer before we start, right? Yeah. Welcome, everyone, back to Spooled, the podcast from your favorite Northern Michigan fly shop, The Northern Angler. I'm your host, Matt Hartman, along with the boss man back in the studio, Mr. Brian Pitzer. It's been a while. Thanks for having welcome, me back. Welcome back. You've been, you had a busy fall. We were gone for a while. Uh, thank you, everyone, for your patience. We haven't even recorded one in probably a month or more. We've been busy. We've been playing catch up. So we'll talk more about that some other time. But pretty cool uh, episode we have coming up. We're, we're going to skip some of the normal, uh, I don't know what you call them, goof off segments. Right. You know, our over-unders or, you know, the classic debates with Joe. You know, we get to see Joe fly off the handle about stuff. I love seeing that. But we're going to go uh, right into introducing our guests. Brian, would you like to introduce our guests? Sure. Today we have uh, Ed McCoy and John Ray of Mangled Fly. And these two guys uh, are some of the top guides here in northern Michigan. And tonight, today we're going to talk about uh, Didymo. And it's a subject that... That's a serious one. We have uh, we've all experienced the the bad effects of it um, on the Upper Manistee, and now it's in the Boardman. And um, with John and Ed's help, we've able to uh, really spread the word on Didymo and and uh, create awareness that uh, probably needs to be um, handled by even greater entities than our little podcast here. But uh, we're doing what we can to help uh, mitigate the spread and uh, we're going to talk about the effects of it today and uh, we're going to kind of go from there we should we should mention that john and eddie are are the two two of the guys behind the curtain of mangled fly yes so yeah (laughs) you like that that makes you sound mysterious right yeah are you the wizard wizard (laughs) i'm not sure what role i play in that curtain but but you're there. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So if you guys would like to learn more about Johnny, Eddie, and see some of the awesome stuff they've been putting out, really well-written technical articles, great blog posts about, you know, our our river environments, not just Didymo, but I've, I mean, I still love the, I go back and read, read the, the lamprey hatch oh, yeah. article. I go back and read, you know, some of that. I love learning about that stuff. And I think a lot of anglers should you know take a little extra time learn about where you like to spend your time and you guys' website's a great place to do that well so, thank you yeah. yeah and i need to apologize for anybody that tried to get to the site in the last couple of days because it was down Uh oh so yes it's always fun when you're like uh what's wrong with the server uh, <laughs> oops no. i need to call the hosting service <laughs> that's not fun no it's not fun darn russians so. Did I back it up recently? <laughs> Ed, sorry for all your work. Yeah, I already lost that once. <laughs> so it makes me think I should go through and save more stuff. That, eh, it's okay. Yeah. yeah. Save? What's that? Yeah. Save? Hmm. But it's in the cloud, guys. Yeah, it's, it's fine. It's, it's there. It's, yeah. Cloud. <laughs> Until it blows away. It's hovering over. <laughs> Is that like one of those? Yeah, I was just going to say. Balloon <laughs> um, rides have been canceled until further notice. Jeez. <laughs> oh, so I figure before we dive into the issues Didymo's bringing us, maybe we talk a little bit about what it is for, I mean, every week we have folks in the shop that they say, what is that? I'm not familiar with that. So I wonder if you guys would touch on that before, you know, we, we really talk about specific river environments that we have up here being affected by it. Sure. 
Well, I guess everybody's looking at me. So. Yes. Come on, <laughs> scientist. All right. All right. So Dynamo basically is a, it's a diatom, right, which is a type of algae. Um, most algae that you probably would be familiar with would be, you know, like blue-green algae, green algae, stuff like that. They temp- typically tend to bloom or kind of grow out of control when you have, you know, high phosphorus levels. So the issue with Didymo is it's quite the opposite, right? So this stuff is single cell. It's kind of got like this little case around it and a little spindle of, I'm not sure exactly what the actual thread is made out of that they attach and adhere to the substrates to, but um, they basically like low phosphorus, like extremely low. And so they will actually proliferate in that situation, which is the opposite of what we have with most algae, right? So you get kind of this misconception, well, you got Didymo in the river, it just means water quality is terrible, right? Well, it's not necessarily a water quality issue. It's probably the opposite. The water is probably too good, right? It's okay. too clean from a nutrient standpoint. It's nutrient deficient. So, you know, that's probably one of the issues we'll bring up today is just discussing kind of like, you know, what can we do to mitigate some of the problems that we're seeing with this and you know basically the river's out of balance so how do we bring it back to balance so it's a fine line with phosphorus because if you look at it you get levels over 10 micrograms which isn't very much you start having problems with macro invertebrate communities fish um algal blooms but if you get too far the other way which probably where we're at now you start having issues like this well you're still getting some of the same problems down the road with the macroinvertebrate community from a different perspective, meaning it's being smothered out versus not having, you know, having too many nutrients, anoxic conditions, stuff like that, that would normally fall in, pre- in line with um, the higher phosphorus levels in the water column. But not to get too lost in the details, it's, it's a completely different issue from what you would normally see in our aquatic environments, right? So... so- and let's also assume right now that there's somebody listening to this that A, doesn't even know what the upper manistee is, and then B, when did Didymo show up on the upper man? Well, so the first visual confirmation of Didymo came in November of 2021. Um, I believe it was Sam Day. He was out fishing with another guide. Uh, I think it was Brian Kosminski. And they, he, he worked on Didymo for his graduate research projects so he was very familiar with it obviously and he happened to look at the bottom and say hold on a second pull over you know i need to get a sample of this so they took a sample had it analyzed and it came back positive for dynamo and that would have been in november of 2021 we had a press release december of that year so that's the first time it's actually visually been observed and a sample was taken that came back positive no, I think I think what ahead, we Brian. found too in the section that that uh, it was discovered in, which was um, you know below three mile between three mile and Sharon. Um, I know at least for for myself and our guides, we noticed that section really was devoid of trout for a long time prior to that. Like the trout population really seemed to tail off, and we were already starting to see some effects of hatches um, in that section. Pr- prior to the November discovery. So we knew it was there. We just had somebody with an educated eye that was able to find it, right? And he's he's a tribal biologist for yep. 
um, the tribe up here. So, um, you know, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't really in the forefront of even the Michigan DNRs, um, biologists until well after that. Right. My instincts tell me we've been dealing with this for a while. I don't think it just showed up overnight. I think it's been something that's gone unnoticed for a while. And, uh, like you said, there's things that started to happen with the fishing, with the insects that really couldn't put my finger on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we can talk about this in more detail later, but, you know, two of the primary things that I've seen probably change the most on the upper Manistee in the last few years, last decade, let's say, um, is habitat decline, especially the loss of deep water habitat. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, the, what was going on with our bugs? Right. Like, something happened in 2014. To me, that's far back as I can go, and I can say that year something changed in our area, right? I don't know what it was, but something changed at that point moving forward. So everything I started to notice with the river, especially with the insects and the fishing, started, in my mind, sometime in 2017. Sure. Maybe earlier, but I can think back to 2017. Fishing was phenomenal back then. But we started seeing changes, right? Where were the isos going? You know, that was Where the were most the brown pro- drakes, right? Where I mean, that was the most prolific hatch that we had as Isonychia. Yet it was starting to go into decline, and it really didn't make any sense. Well, we had the New Zealand mud snail at yeah. the time too. Yeah, but that's nowhere near the issue that we're seeing today with Didymo. Right, Didymo is a whole other beast. I mean, that stuff essentially went forty miles in one event. Think about that. CCC Bridge, probably all the way to the pond. It was almost like a line at yeah. CCC Bridge. I can Bridge confirm it, it went to 131. I found it in every section I fished from essentially CCC to 131 last year. And in significant amount. It's not just like, oh, a little bit here, a little oh, no, bit there. It's, no, it was, it's, it was everywhere. It's it was very difficult to miss. There's that much. It's I funny mean, you it's, say that because people were missing it early yeah, on. Yeah. Can you tell us where you're seeing Because we can't find it. We mean you can't find it. It looks like toilet paper coming down the river. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, you know, we laugh at that, but that's actually a really good description. It looks like someone just offloaded a truck of teepee into the river, and it, it snags on the branches. It drags. It looks like just wet rags covering the bottom of the river and attached to sticks and anything it can attach to, it will attach to. Yeah, and I had... People kind of give me, like, little inputs on what to expect, and Johnny was like, you're not going to – you won't miss it. I'm like, okay. He's like, no, you're not going to miss it. Like, it's everywhere. And so we went up and started looking around, and he was right. It was everywhere. And it was – at that point, that's kind of like when I kind of lost it. Like, my mind just went, what the hell? Yeah. And this you know? is yeah. in May. This is in May, right. yeah. Yeah. Then yeah. I saw the river in high water – prior to that in April on a streamer trip, but you really couldn't get like the full emphasis of what I was seeing. I could see the debris floating in the river, which was something else to behold. And, but you really couldn't see the bottom, you know what I mean? Cause the water was still turbid from a recent still rain. Off or yeah. Rain. yeah. But once it started to clear in May, then it became obvious what we were dealing with. And it was, <laughs> it was like, I couldn't even visualize that before I saw it. I was like, no way. Wow. Yeah. It's impressive, but depressing all in the same point. I know I was super sad. Like we did uh, a two boat trip the first week of May 
uh, for four days, three or four days, and we caught like three fish. And I just said at that point, I'm done trout fishing for. Yeah. Don't go down and, you know, every other cast, you're pulling that stuff off. Even on dry flies. And it's just. It was was super depressing. It has a suffocating presence in the water. Yep. Like that's. Well, that's essentially what it does, right? Yeah. Suffocates the bottom. So long-term impacts yet to be seen, right? Short-term impacts, you guys started touching that a little bit. Short-term impacts are, you know, we're going to, we should, we'll probably see some decline in insect activity, which we did. I thought last year was one of the worst hatch seasons I've seen, but the immediate impact it had on the fishing was unexpected. Like I didn't, I didn't expect that. No, you would have thought that you would have been able to catch fish because they'd been starving. Yeah. And I, I I fought that. I fought that with my, in my head for the majority of our hatch season. Like, well, they're just not hungry. They're just not hungry. No, they weren't there. They're gone. Right. I mean, I think everyone started to exhaust all those options of, you know, oh, I'm in the wrong spot or they're looking for something else or, you know, maybe it's cold today or something. And finally, you just have to come to the conclusion you didn't want to come to. Yeah, it was mid-June. I mean, I had ISOs all around me as far as I could see floating for a good hour, hour and a half. And I just slowed down. Like, I slowed down my brain. I slowed down the boat. slowed down my anglers and just started watching. There's nothing rising. And that right there, that was when I was like, the light went on. They're not here. Yeah. Fish moved. Well, wasn't that you, Johnny, that came up with that report out of New Zealand that it said that... uh, you know, it displaces 60 to 70% of the brown trout population. Yeah, I mean, we took that article and then did a quick survey amongst, I think I called you, and of course, Ed and I talked, and then a couple other guides, and then even, like, pulled some gear guys. Because, you know, as a fly angler, like, you're pretty effective, but you're not hitting all the bases. Right. So then you're just, like, you're calling other guys that you know that work as much as you do, and they're hitting in a different way, and you're like, hey... I know that's tough right now, but can I ask you, like, what is your catch rate like right now? And we are all consistently came back and said that we're 60 to 80% down, depending on where you went in the river. If you were below CCC Bridge, it was rough. Yeah. If you went above CCC Bridge at that time, then you were starting to see, you know, better catch rates. <clears throat> yeah, and that study you're referring to, um, it was a 70% reduction in brown trout biomass. Okay. But the reduction is in larger fish, which is exactly what we saw. I mean, I fish a lot of the water I fish enough to know where most of them sit, and Johnny does too, and you probably do as well. When you can go down the river and expect to find, you know, a few known addresses and they're not there right? from one hatch to the next, I mean, <laughs> where did they go? Right. And there was a noticeably reduced amount of pressure on the river this year. Absolutely. Yeah, I wasn't competing with other anglers. I was competing with the lack of fish, right? I mean, for me to go into a section where I can normally get 25 to 30 bites and work my ass off for five, that's not good. Right, right. And I know, like, when we fished at night, you were starting to suspect the effects above CCC. Yeah, and I, I actually saw it the year before in 21. And interestingly enough, and, you know, John and I have talked about it, I can't prove it other than it's an observation. But I would say that our fish were already moving prior to the Dynamo bloom, right? So you recall us talking about the watercolor being off 
Right. Right. Mm-hmm. I had like a slight tannic stain at a period in time. We hadn't had any rain for weeks. The river's at its lowest stage. It's been at all year. It was hot. In and the water. Yeah. Real quick on that point, because you bring this up in an article that you just wrote, and yep. I wasn't aware of this, but why was the water off-colored? Why do I think it's off-color? Well, yeah. So what, what is Didymo? So Didymo cells are actually an amber or golden brown color. Ah. So from an education standpoint, because we know the upper Manistee and the Boardman aren't the last to get this. No. Right. No. You know, so use this podcast to educate so that we can bring awareness to people. What are you looking for when this blooms? Mm-hmm. Yep. So this is a precursor. And I, I think hindsight's twenty twenty. When I think back to 21... These fish knew it was coming before I hit them, right? So, you know, I'm, I'm fishing my hex water, and I pull into a corner, and I get five out of six fish that are 22 to 24 inches rising in one night. And I go back a couple nights later, get the other two, and the next thing I know there's another six or eight high teeners in the same corner that I've never caught more than one big fish in, in my entire life. What's going on here, right? So... You're a superstar? Yeah. <laughs> well, freak things do happen on occasion, but it was starting to become a consistent theme. Like in other areas, we go through long periods of sections, but used to hold fish and we're finding nothing. And then you come into one quadrant and it's just stuffed. And you're like, this is weird. What's going on? And I thought it was just the high temperatures, right? So pushing like people. Thermal pushing refuge, the fish right? To fish were looking for colder water, sure. springs, whatever. I don't think so. I think it was, and there's probably some of that going on, but I really think, and that was prior, that was about the time we were seeing that watercolor. And I think a lot of that led into some of that early migration. And as this stuff built up over the winter, I mean, what's the hardest time on a trout population? It's winter, For sure winter. Right? Food's most limiting. And, you know, whether this stuff gives off a noxious chemical that the brown trout do not like. But it's interesting because New Zealand study was specifically mentioning brown trout is the problematic species that had the most adverse reaction to didymo and uh it definitely showed on our river this year sure and i think that's where your idea was like hey well if we don't have brown trout maybe we could get a rainbow trout population mm-hmm. you know in in here um you know they have didymo we're not the only place in the world that deals with this mm-hmm. um but i know that we all kind of feel like we're alone with uh with what's going on because it just hasn't really been addressed much on the state level. Yeah, no, <clears throat> definitely the response right out of the gate from the state was very lacking, to say the least. You know, and, you know, Ed knows more about their process that they're going through, and we were going to touch in on that. You know, it was definitely one of the questions that I wanted to bring up is, you know, in our eyes, what are we seeing from the DNR? And what are we seeing from other state agencies? What are they doing to bring public awareness? You know, it felt like the signs, you know, when we did the YouTube video and you guys did as well, mm-hmm. we were one of the first to bring a voice to the upper. Right. Because there was no signage. Yeah. You know, and trout openers and three, four, whatever the number of days were. And we're like, hey, we got to, you know, you guys have we a We need to blast channel. it. You yeah. guys have a problem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so. We, I felt like we were educating clients on a daily basis coming into the shop. You know, we have a lot of clients that come in from out of state. Maybe they don't follow the, 
you know, emails and, and social media, um, because a lot of people don't, mm -hmm. you know, um, and, and they fish the manistee and then, the, you know, they go over to somebody's camp oh, yeah. on the ensemble and well, they and fish them two in a day. Yeah. You know? you know, so we were educating people. Don't do that this year. Don't like we're seeing Dynamo. This is a bad thing. You know, you can't take your waders that are contaminated. It's going to take at least 48 hours for those to dry out. Um, you know, wash them, you know, we came up with the, you know, basically our own protocol based on what New Zealand protocols were um, and, and try to educate people that way uh, to clean and properly disinfect their gear. Um, I know like with the anchor lines and things like that that you guys were doing, um, telling people about that. And, you know, I mean, your shoelaces, felt sold waders. We've never sold felt sold waders at our shop um, since I took it over. And, you know, just simple things like that. If the state of Michigan would say, okay, we're going to ban felt sole waders. We're going to require this, this, and this, and just make it a universal and get it out there, right? Yeah, there's two things the DNR are not going to do. They're not going to close down the river, right. and they're not going to ban felt soles. Right. So I happened to go to an NRC meeting in January, and I had an opportunity to address the commission on, on Didymo from a um, guide industry standpoint. I was there with a couple other speakers, and they touched more on the scientific base of it. So it made my conversation a little more simple and focused. But the takeaway I had from that was basically the, the approach the DNR is going to take is a lot of heavy emphasis on stop the spread. That's it. Period. Period. Hmm. And okay. they're going to do that through um, – social media campaigns. So they're not going to do boat wash stations. They're not going to. No, they're looking for partners Okay. to uh, look at waiter washing stations, boat washing stations, but they're not going to fund it. Um, it was kind of eye-opening because it still kind of felt like we were being left out on this plank, you know, with one right. direction to go. You know, you, you can turn and go back, but the end result is – not not desirable right so basically what i would say my take home on this whole thing was we do not have an effective strategy to stop this from spreading and then this kind of brings me to another study that i brought or i found from new zealand where they were talking about looking at conditions that cause didymo to grow did you guys know that on the north island there is no didymo as of today they haven't found it any other streams only in the South Island, even though they have rivers that categorically it should be there, right? Right. So they're they're looking at the streams and going, well, maybe there's something going on with the chemistry of the water that is acts as an inhibitor for didymo growth. So they did their test. It really wasn't a great study from that perspective. But what I found interesting is when I looked at the methodology that they used and then their sampling, they talked about finding didymo in streams on the South Island that was in the water column only, not on the not on not the substrate. Attached. It did not bloom. They found it in the water column in some streams, plus on the substrates. Still did not bloom. So you tell me, this stuff is a ghost. Like hmm. it's only gonna bloom when conditions are right. 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 So going back to your waiter thing, moving from river to river to river, you can't make the assumption that just because you can't see it. It's not there. Sure. My gut tells me the stuff's far more widespread 
than what it currently is. Yeah, we just don't know yet. We've talked. And we about don't that, have yeah. early detection strategy to find it. Right. Right. Basically, what we do is a rock scraping where they take a stone, they scrape the contents off the rock, they take it back to the lab, they look at it under a microscope. Obviously, they're looking for specifically for Didymo, and they probably categorize other things. But if it's not growing on the substrate, you're not going to find it. But yet they were able to find it in the water column in New Zealand. We need to modify how we're looking for this stuff. Right. They're using the only different way testing gonna, strategies. Exactly. Clearly. The only yeah. way you're going to get ahead of this is to figure out which rivers currently have it. And then you start working on a way to mitigate against the conditions for it to bloom. Right. That's the only way you can get ahead of it. Otherwise, you're always playing catch up. You're always behind the eight ball. You're chasing tails, which is a waste of time. And really depressing. And a waste of a resource. Yeah. Right. Oh, it is. Because what do you, every time there's a new bloom, oh, shoot, I wish there was more right. we could do. And we're well, about to find out is. what the impact is of having a bloom, especially an extensive one like we saw in the Manistee. Right. You know, what is the impact? How long does it take for it to go and run its course? I mean, you know, we could go back this spring, summer and see a different fishery. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, it, it did seem to subside somewhat, um, you know, and, and I haven't been over there this winter to check it out, but I know, you know, in late August, early September when it popped into the, you know, bloomed on the Boardman, it was like in three days. Oh, it was crazy. And it, it was, was so widespread and so thick in such a short period of time. Um, and then you wonder, okay, you know, we had talked about this, like, okay, what are the, what are the roads treatments? You know, what are they putting on the roads? Cause maybe everything gets washed in from CCC down with the dust control measures. Um, you know, the roads run very close to the upper Manistee right there. All the dust from the, you know, traffic and the side-by-sides and things like that, that blow over, settle into the river. I know. You know, I was having trouble with styes in my eyes. <laughs> Remember that? Mm-hmm. Like in 2021, I, you know, like what's going on with that dust, right? And then the same dust, the same roads are right on that side of the boardman. Washing into that, is that, you know, one of the culprits? Like is this, you know, because we had talked at length, at, is this a perfect storm? What, what caused this to bloom, you know? other than we have low phosphorus, lack of nutrients. You know, they did all the cuttings. Were we missing all that pollen? You know, I mean, there's so many unanswered questions, right? Yeah. Do you want to go into your next question? Or you want me to just jump ahead here? <laughs> no, you can definitely <laughs> jump ahead, you know. I, um, all right, because I kind of know where this is going. So it. basically, let me ask you this question. You know, I don't fish the boardman. Like, I'm not as familiar with it as you guys are. In the last, let's say, five years, let's keep it simple, what is the most change you've seen occur on that river? Well, you know, with the removal of the dams, um, you know, the water temperature's super cold. So people used to kayak and canoe it and tube it. You know, like tubing it was the thing to do in the middle of summer, right, from going at Shumsky's and float down to Beitner. It's too cold to do that anymore. So now we have a much colder stream. Um, we have definitely noticed, you know, a, a lot more rainbow up there, you know, steelhead that have gotten past the Union Street Dam. Yeah. So we know we have a, a ton of steelhead smolt and, and, you know, baby rainbows up there. Um, 
you know, the trout population after they removed the dam really blossomed. Like it blew up and then, you know, it being close to town and not having, you know, catch and release type regulations that, that was pretty, <laughs> that was pretty short lived, but you know, there are still some, it's a, it's a great quality stream. It's never been a great hatch stream. So you, you don't get a ton of bugs in there. Never have. It's not like, you know, you're going to, oh, every year we get, I get a ton of people in the shop that, oh yeah, I had, I had bugs last night or, you know, or I sat on the bank looking for bugs and nothing happened. I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> I'm no. so, should come in here first. <laughs> Sorry. But it really, yeah. I mean, but I think we've started to see a little bit more of that, mm-hmm. um, a little bit more bug activity yeah. uh, from the dam removal. So, you know, things like caddis, things um There was like a good, decent sulfur hatch, sulfurs. you know, down low last year. It was kind of cool. So, so what something you, different. What are you seeing differently with the stream habitat? Think between the banks. Okay, so, you know, well, we had a lot more exposed Death, gravel. Width. Um, exposure to sunshine oh yeah a lot yeah. more openness right once mm-hmm. they yeah so the sunlight was especially where it bloomed um that's the new section right where we saw it first bloom so a lot more sun exposure and so it went from being what probably 40 feet deep to 100 feet deep up there down to like river riverbed so i know i know where you're going with this with the with the whole sunlight and, and change in depths right yeah. Which we saw with so sand. if I think back five years on the upper Manistee and I look at like what's the biggest change that I've seen and arguably it's got to be the stream channels widening but it's also shallowing and filling with sand or mm-hmm. losing war- large woody debris faster than it's being replaced and we're starting to see homogeneous or similar habitat over long sections right Right. So you can think of several places below yellow trees, probably without thinking too hard, where you're like, wow, this is 100, 300 yards of river. That's the same depth all the way across. Nothing but sand, no structure, wide open, blazing sunshine. Can't be good, right? Right. Yeah, that's the scenario I'm seeing up and down the river. So one of my thoughts is, why did this not form above CCC? I thought it was just like, why is there this demarcation line, a line drawn in the sand at the CCC bridge. Why only from there down? And really, it didn't get real bad until we got to four mile, which is another mile down, right? Mm-hmm. Why only in that section did Dynamo go crazy and not above? So I started paying attention to things. And one of the things that I noticed in this past year was our water temperature. We started losing temperature between 72 and CCC bridge this year. Our water temps became uniform during the longest, uh, well, during June, we had the longest daylight periods, right? So the river is no longer winning the battle against the sun. It's essentially now becoming too warm during that time of year. I've never had to cancel this many trips in June. Right. It's becoming a common theme the last couple of years. What is it? Well, it's not that there were any warmer, right? It's that conditions to maintain cold flows are declining. It's habitat loss. Now this year in August, where did I find Dynamo? Yellow trees down to CCC. As soon as our water temps got back below 65, it started to grow on the rocks. Hmm. It didn't form the mat, but it's there. 
right? right? So I think it's something that we need to seriously look at as a management strategy moving forward. And, you know, and we haven't done any habitat work in the state for 40 years. I'm not talking about willy-nilly throwing logs in here and there, small projects. I'm talking like full watershed, kind of like what TU is doing right now. A systematic approach with strategic placements sure. to enhance the river. We haven't done that in, since I've been alive. No. No, nothing on a large scale. And you nailed, you nailed exactly where we saw it on the boardman. Is or at least for I me. I had a hunch. I didn't know exactly no, where you it was. It because I, I remember Eric came in the shop and he had canoed a section from Shumsky down to Beitner. I think he did probably Brown Bridge to Beitner. And he came in and he's like, you wouldn't believe what I just saw. I'm like, what? I was up there like two weeks ago. We were just up there. And, I, and he's like, no, it's the whole from bank to bank. And it's exactly that where it's uniform depth of two to three feet. And it's, it's kind of that boring, long stretches that are exposed to the sunlight. And, I mean, it was just, we went up and waited below below Shumsky there, and it was just like, you couldn't find a, a patch of sand or gravel without it. It was everywhere. It was just it was like the flip of a switch. Yeah. It was wild. It was absolutely, it was sad once again. Just yeah. sad. Well, a lot of people didn't notice it. It was a little bit darker. You know, there wasn't as much suspended wood in the boardman where you see it hanging off like that wet TP kind of look that we saw in the Manistee. And so, you know, at first glance, it just looks like, oh, the bottom's just dark here. Oh, no, that's a that's a thick mat that's grown from bank to bank. And I think that was one of the reasons it took us a little bit, a little bit longer to notice it in the boardman because it wasn't attached. I didn't see it free-floating like we, we'd see and pull off streamers on the Manistee in the spring. So, wild. Yeah. Yeah, I know when I first floated up there in late April and I called Ed and, you know, you'd see little patches of it. Like the first time you see it, you're definitely confused. And then I remember telling Ed, I was like, I don't know. It's like interesting. Down by Simpsons, it was just different. Like the bottom's different. I was like, I need you to come up. And that's the day we filmed. Yeah. And I was like, you need to see it because it just, I don't know what it is. And because you were confused by it. And then when right. you stop the boat because you're not working and you're filming and you're like, oh, my God, it's a mat. It's just a carpet of yeah. it. And you're just, you know, like we're all sick when we first see oh, it. Oh, it makes you – I mean, yeah. I, Dude, I, I guarantee cried. everyone around this table has that, like, slight sick to your stomach feeling yeah. right now just yeah. talking about it probably. I bit. do. Yeah. 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 It's not just the beer. Yeah. It's the <laughs> you're, you're irritated because there's no signage. No, right. there's, there's nothing. I mean, yeah, there's just, nothing like on a DNR site since they reported it back then. Like this is November of 2021. Yep. They had you know, you know four months to do something right. with no. it, right? And we're going home at the end of the day. We're all doing our own research. We're all digging into what's what's happening mm -hmm. in New Zealand. I'm looking at rivers I know out west that have had it. What and you know we're emailing people trying to figure out. You know, we're all trying to find our way in the dark on our own and try and get that info out as fast as we can for people. And it's, it, it was, it was disgusting. And, you know, I, I felt like every day at the shop, I was one of those homeless dudes on the corner, you know, <laughs> let me tell you about Didymo. Let me, you know, like, let me tell you about, you know, this problem. Mm -hmm. And people are looking at me like, yeah, whatever, dude. Or, you know, I ran into people on the river later in the summer when I did run a few trout trips and, you know, I, can, I remember seeing these guys in, in kick boats and they were, you know, they had 
you know, spinning gear and they were throwing little Rapalas and they're like, man, what is all this stuff? Mike, you haven't heard about Didymo? Nope. Like, what's no, that? What's that? Mm-hmm. I'm like, it's all over your stuff. Look at, yeah. They're like, it's, it's, it's everywhere. And I'm like, yeah, you, you know, you can clean and dry all your stuff before you go to the next body of water, mm-hmm. you know, so you don't spread it. But, you know, but the puzzled looks at people like Didymo, what are you talking about? Boy? Yeah. You know, oh, I, is that, that's a funny word. Did you guys mm-hmm. make that up? Is right. that something, is that a festival we should go to? Or right. like, is what is ride? this? So I figure right now is maybe a good time <laughs> to talk about, you know, okay, we, Brian just talked about trying to prevent the spread, the methods that are there. The number one question we get in the shop easily by far is well, what do, how do we get rid of it? And that's the saddest answer of all is there is, there is no way to get rid of it. Yeah. Right. right. There's no known treatment. No known they, treatment. They've been working on some phosphorus additions. What was it when Ann talked about copper sulfate? I think mm-hmm. it was using something like that, which you know you have to be careful. We start adding chemicals in the water, but you know I, th- I really think that is a short-term solution. And if you really want to have a difference, you know we need to change the conversation. Yeah. And Ask the right question. Right? What I mean by that is not just you know, talking about it from like, well, we got, how do we get rid of it? I mean, how do we get rid of it? There's probably no way to get rid of it. The stuff's here forever. It probably has been here for a long time and now it's just kind of coming to fruition, right? The conditions are right for it to do what it needs to do. Um, but we need to look at how we manage our landscape, how we manage our streams. And we need to essentially have a wholehearted conversation about what we're currently doing because the management between the stream banks isn't fitting the bill. Right. I mean, we're in the situation we are in now because we've allowed our streams to decline to a point where they're no longer functional. There's, they, there's systemic issues up and down the river. And until we fix that problem, we're probably stuck with this problem for a while right. because I think one plus one does equal two. And I I firmly believe that the habitat situation is a big reason why we're seeing some of the problems that we're seeing. It's not the only reason, but I think if you can eliminate that part of the equation, then you lessen maybe the occurrence or the chance sure. of something like this happening. Sure, again. the ecosystem's more, more more resilient at that point, right? Yeah, and John and I were talking about this, you know, in May. And we talked about it every day. It consumed our lives for the better part of the summer, and uh, you know, he made the comment. He's like. You know, I look at this as it's like a disease, you know, a cancer or diabetes in a mm-hmm. sick person. And that's when it kind of struck a chord with me. I was like, you're absolutely right. The river is sick. It's not balanced. So how do we bring it back into balance? You know, and this is where people need to go to their representatives and they need to demand change. Like, how do we fix this problem? There's no simple fix. It's going to take a lot of time and a lot of money. Something that, you know, Money's hard to find, obviously, but people are going to be willing to donate, and there's going to be monies available. That should be the least of our concerns. But how do we change, like, the way we approach our management? You know, you hear talk about holistic management applications all the time, but we actually don't do that. You need to bring fisheries division. You need to bring forestry. You need to bring wildlife all to the same table. And they need to look at all their management plans, and they need to have a conversation. How is this going to impact me? How is this going to impact my part of it? Right? And you need to look at the entire watershed. Should we have one biologist covering 
five watersheds? No. No. Is that an effective strategy? Does that sound like an effective way to manage an ecosystem? No, it's not. It's, it's impossible. So realistically, you should have a biologist per watershed. That is plenty of things to do for one individual to manage. And it's still not going to be that efficient, but it's going to be far better than the system that we currently have. You know, so by doing that and hopefully, you know, seeing some serious adjustment to how we do things, maybe over time, you know, we can see some positive fix. But it's going to take a lot of energy and effort to get that ball rolling. You know, so we're going to need people to step up to the plate, make those calls, you know, go to Lansing, have the talk, the backdoor meetings, whatever it takes to try and get that message pushed through that, look, what we're doing is not working. I mean, consider this. The Manistee River has been a natural river since 2003. Do you think that's helped the Manistee River, having that designation? No, it hasn't, has no. it? No. Right. In fact, the one thing it has helped is it's made the permitting process tougher in order to do any kind of habitat work at all. Right. It's made it more expensive and lengthy, right? So there's something else that's worth having a conversation. Might be time to retool that law. The buffer that it provides for vegetative to the river corridor is 400 feet. Pretty sure I could throw a stone 400 feet. It's not very big. No. So there's a lot of things we can do better, we can do differently. But until we, like, put pressure where it needs to be, nothing's going to change. Right. And you got each each entity doing what they think is best without interacting. I think you hit the nail on the head saying that basically everything doesn't know what wildlife is doing. Right. Everything's connected in this. It's, you know, it's like, it's like putting, you know, the big fences out West, like elk herds and everything's going to respect your little border. (laughs) Like, no, that doesn't work. (laughs) Everything works together. And until we start getting that together and stop trying to put band-aids on stuff. That's all, (laughs) that's all we are. Yes. Band-Aids are hole in not going to do patch it. it. Yep. Right? Hole in the hose, patch it. Um, that only works for so long, and then you don't have any room to put any more patches, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's not going to be an easy thing to do, you know, and we can sit here and talk about it all day, but it is a conversation that needs to be had with a lot of, you know, ernst, if you will, and kind of like push it to the front, you know, and I think it's something that, you know, as a fly shop, guide service, you know, we can keep putting stuff out there, but we need to find a way to get a group like Anglers of the Osable, who's got like some of that lobbying power to get behind it. And then maybe we'll see some real change occur. Yeah. So. So that's <clears throat> the big picture, right? So that's. Yeah, that's the so big picture. Now let's get down to the immediate you're going fishing as an angler. What are your responsibilities? Yeah, and we're not saying don't go fishing, by <laughs> no, the way. No, no. I mean, no, please yeah, no, you, go fishing. You like, can please. You can fish the river. Like I did it all summer. You have to you have to understand like if you're going to fish anywhere in the state, you have to make the assumption that Didymo, New Zealand, any invasive species has an opportunity to hitch a ride. I mean, it's not Financially, probably the easiest thing to do, but if I had three rivers that I fished primarily, I would have three different pairs of waders. 
right? Um, for my boat, I have multiple anchor ropes. You cannot effectively clean an anchor rope. No, you can't. Well, I, it's impossible. It's this isn't meant as a sales pitch either. This no. is a this is us admitting that as thorough as you can be, the likelihood is. I mean, look at all the crevices on wading boots. Yeah, the laces, all those things are each individual thing is a liability, and you know if. I'm sorry, but most of us are, don't have two hours to scrub our waders every time we go fish for just five hours. So, and the other part here that we're talking about the Upper Manistee and the Boardman, mm-hmm. and today is February something twentieth. Let's just make up a date because it's really close. <laughs> I know Valentine's was. You're this gonna week. push me on editing <laughs> yeah. now and no, getting this out right matter. away. No, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so, what is coming up next is spring steelhead. Yeah, and in my mind, and I asked Ed this. Am I crazy to think the little tiny little cell of Didymo is not below Tippy? No. 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 It's there. Yes, sir. So if you're an angler, and even though you don't see Didymo below Tippy and nobody's talking about it, if you're going to go fish below Tippy, and then you're going to go to the Pier Marquette, and then you're going to go to the Muskegon, I don't care if you have waders, a jet boat, a tube, a canoe, you got to clean it because it's in the Manistee yes. from top to bottom. Yep. Period. Clean your beep. <laughs> Clean your gear. Yeah. I think that's what you were saying. Yeah. Right? Well, I think is, you can swear on this podcast. I don't know. So I think I people know. are okay you know? with that. So. This is a story. If you're not, I find like, a different like Still looking for sponsors. <laughs> <laughs> so I spent 30 minutes cleaning my boat. And Johnny knows I'm meticulous. No, bad. Pulled Sorry. everything out of it. <laughs> Good. Cleaned the hell out of it. Scrubbed it. Soaked it down. Spent probably 15 bucks at the power washer. Yeah. Right? And this is just from fishing below CCC and now going above. Because in my mind, I'm like, I don't want to be that guy. So I'm going to do my thing. I changed my anchor rope out. I got a rope specifically for the upper and a rope specifically for below the CCC, right? And yeah. I had different anchors as well. Yep. Because let's face it, I mean, there's all kinds of porous crevices and anything that we use. So... I go through and I scrub my boat and I put everything back into it. I'm just getting ready to pull on out of there and I look down. There's two chunks of didymo right on the bottom of my floor. I'm like, this shit is yeah. everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I could have easily missed that. How many people and have carpet on their uh, on their trailer bunks? Mm-hmm. I mean, right. Yeah. Yeah. I won't even back into the river right now. Yeah. You know, the tires are still dry. It's just push it off and go. But it's uh, it's going to be really hard to you know not move this stuff around but you have to make that effort because if you don't you're definitely going to move it around and i think most people have good intentions but you have to be methodical and you have to consistently do something right that's the only way you can get past moving this stuff around is to be consistent at what you're doing and it's there i don't have like a right answer for anybody i wish i did but it's the reality of the situation that we're living in right now is there's a lot of places that if this stuff gets, <laughs> you're going to see some serious impact to our fisheries. And, yeah, it's it's that that bad. It's dire. It is. I dire. mean, it's... I don't know how, how I can... I mean, I, I remember speaking to the NRC, and I'm looking at them, and I kind of all have the same expression on their face i'm like did they just understand what i told them i think some of them did but i wasn't positive that they did and i i said you know if i do this again i'm gonna bring more shock and awe to the table 
shock and awe is needed. Like people need to hear the bad, the ugly, because it's kind of what gets you motivated to pay attention. Right. You know, it's like you get going with life and you're just kind of on this road and watching the trees go by. And next thing you know, you're at a stop sign. Well, that's not what Didymo is. You can't, you, <laughs> you go down this road, you got to pay attention at every tree limb, yeah. right? Every little tree that's leaning out over the road. Cause this stuff, man, it's the potential for what it can do. You guys saw it on the board in how many days? <laughs> I mean, it was less fast. than a week. Yeah, it was forty miles in the upper man. I bet that was in less than a week too. Yeah, right. I didn't visually see it myself, but and I don't think I think it kind of kept going into spring. Last report I've heard is the stuff downstream has started to break up and look unhealthy, but I wouldn't take that as right anything other than there might be some hope for the future in there. Yeah. You know, guys that I've talked to that, that uh, work in places where Dynamo is present, like, uh, you know, South America, let's say Argentina, places like that, um, you know, it, it was a nuisance for sure, but they have so many rainbows, it didn't really affect their fishery overall. In fact, you know, it couldn't really nymph or streamer fish very, very well because it was through the water columns, but they were still catching lots of rainbows so that makes you want to go back and say, okay, so the brown trout are really affected by this. What can we do as a state to still make these fisheries viable? Brick trout are too. There's federal money in brick trout. Yeah. So yeah, this is not, this is not the solutions podcast. This is the reality check podcast is what we're having today. And I think that's important though. We all need it. It's too easy to just keep scrolling. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, if you're on your phone, oh, yeah, I don't, it's sad. I want to read about that right now. We've all done that with, I mean, you name the subject. Right. But so, if you're, if you want this, you know, the fisheries in, in your state, you know, maybe you're not in Michigan. You know, I think everywhere needs to be, we all need to step up responsibility. Yeah, I heard it did go into the Cumberland this year. Yeah. So people down in Kentucky that are affected by this. I'm begging people to try and educate their friends. Just have the conversation. I mean, it feels like a parent-child conversation <laughs> thing, well, like, but do it. give you one more shock and awe. So yeah. my mousing season, you guys had brought it up earlier. Um, this year was 50% less in my catch. And I would say that was that number's primarily served above CCC. Right? I fished it all the way down to Sharon this year. Those areas were definitely tougher. Um, felt like fishing was better, like Brian said, towards the end of the season. I did better down there than I thought I was going to. Um, but the big red flag, the takeaway that I saw that was kind of like, wow, here it comes. I caught a lot of trout this year that in August and early September when I was fishing, finishing up my run that were underweight, poor condition. I'm not talking just big 20s that are aging out. I'm talking teeners. Sure. It's not good. So if the fish did move upriver, what happens next year when the stuff blooms above CCC? Where are those fish going now? Right. You're talking about a, a progression of decline. As these fish keep getting pushed into smaller areas, you're going to have some of those big fish that just can't make it, right? 
lack of food, space. You know, I think they were starting to drop back in August and filling back some of those voids. But most of those fish I was finding in the lower river were not in the best of condition. They were falling back out of necessity, right? Yep. Yep. So it'll be interesting to see where this goes in the next year or two. But I said it this summer to Johnny in just a general conversation that if the stuff above CCC goes like it did below CCC, the river is in big-time trouble. It's already in trouble, but I'm talking like starting over. Right. It's, it's not good. And the potential for this to have disastrous effects, not just on our river, but the boardman, the PM, the pine, all of them, the all you want to talk about a loss, right? Right. So, you know, it has to be taken more serious than what people in the state are really looking at it. It's a serious issue. It's probably the most serious issue I've seen since I started guiding in Michigan 22 years ago. Nobody agree Think with that. It. We've seen a lot, but this is probably the most serious high level concern I've ever had in my life guiding. Like, wow, this is real. It's real. Yeah. Parting thoughts, gentlemen. Anything before we, we wrap things up? Yeah, not to leave it on just like I did a, good. I think we covered most of my points, you know. We let Eddie Eddie go. It was good. <laughs> so I was hoping that, you know, Matt would do over under with him, but you know, maybe next over, time. Over under will we over under him. <laughs> Well, oh, we, we should we should maybe lighten the mood a little bit because I'm so depressed right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna take some more vitamin D, and hopefully we get another sunny spell. I have to stay spell. over tonight, right. Brian. Gosh. Make sure you don't jump off. Yeah, the, I mean, the Brian's gonna go sit in front of the happy light after this <laughs> for sure. <Darn>. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I mean, uh, it did. It was the most depressing summer ever. I mean, it just I was bummed out the entire summer, um, and you know, you, you have that freak out moment. And it wasn't just a moment. It was a freak out summer. Like, what am I going to do? How am I going to support? How am I going to support the staff? How, how are we, you know, we didn't sell many hatch flies this year because we didn't have many hatches. You know, guys weren't going out losing them because there weren't bugs. And, right. you know, luckily we do have, you know, other resources here in the state that we can um, utilize as, as guides and as anglers. You know, we have, thank goodness, you know, we have such great warm water fishing. We have other streams that you can go to, you know, creeks, things like that. I mean, I did discover a lot of new water this year, um, did a lot more creek fishing, uh, than I have in the past and, and looking for just out of the way places, um, to fish. But, uh, you know, it still is a serious issue and, and it, and it is very depressing. I'm not, I'm not we're lucky to have the diversity of fisheries we have in Michigan. A lot of other places do not have that. Right. You know, we have to put up with there being no sunshine, you know, all winter. <laughs> uh, some days, but right? there's yeah, there's some payoff. You know, right. once we break out of you know break into spring and start with steelhead, and it's you know a lot of days you have to. It's tough to choose what you want to go fish for. True, and I just hope that trout is going to continue to be a viable option for people when they're making that decision. So, absolutely, that's where I'm at. I th- I think I think it's you know. I don't think trout are going to go away. I think people will get motivated, you know, and hopefully this is just like one of the first talking points that we have as a group collectively where it's like, okay, 
we need help you know everybody needs to do their part and I, i'm serious like write your congressional leaders yeah write them say you know you're very concerned about this i mean all you have to do is throw in the words economic impact boom you better yeah, you're gonna have their attention yeah. it's a buzzword and it is gonna have an economic impact I mean, it already has the, oh yeah this Big area time. is a tourist-based economy it always has been and it's always gonna be and uh you know you lose something like that that has been valued for so long and that permanency has gone through its issues over time you know, there was a period in time where the whirling disease really did a number. Yes. And it died, and it came back. I think it can come back from this, but I think we need to help it come back, and then we also need to do a lot more to prevent this from happening again. And that's where a lot of the habitat work that's going on now, we need to push it. We need to get more funding for it. We need to keep it going. You know, and if we can continue to do that moving forward, then we will have a viable trout fishery. But the way it is right now, if we just play status quo and let the river go through its course, we, we risk losing a lot more than just that. Yeah, get involved with your local, you know, conservation organizations. Write your state representatives. Make people aware. Let your friends know. Yeah. Yep. Thank you, guys. Thank, yeah, thanks oh, for having thanks, us on. Thank you, guys. I, I mean, and thanks, everybody, for tuning into this one. I th- I mean, I don't know about you, but it's not just the editing. I'm going to go back and re-listen and re-listen. And, you know, it's there's so much good information there, and there's so much more out there still. Make sure you check out mangledfly.com. The site is up. It's rocking. It's, <laughs> it is live. Now. And we and we put a we try and share as much of Eddie and Johnny's stuff oh, as you. possible because it's it needs super to be out there. high yeah. quality content for <laughs> for people so give them a follow they're at mangled fly on instagram as well uh parting words anybody just follow spool you'll learn yeah (laughs) all right thanks everyone thanks guys